Like many things in life, romance is a journey. And whether you're single, engaged, newlywed, or you've been married for a number of years, this podcast is going to help you in that journey. Welcome to a new season of Loving Well. I'm John Fuller, and joining me again this year are Dr. Greg Smalley and his wife, Erin. They've been married since 1992 and run the marriage department here at Focus on the Family. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, John. Good to be here with you. Yep, always a joy to be here. You bring energy and smiles and some laughter. I mean, we've been laughing before we started the podcast, and I'm sure we will laugh along the way here. And beauty. You didn't talk about my beauty. Okay, so we're going to move on. As I was, as I was saying, <laughs> I was, I was thinking, thinking not yeah. about your beauty, but about as we get ready for this topic, um, when Dina and I got engaged, it was kind of, frankly, I hate people that do like these mountaintop uh, deals where they hike for 14 hours to the top of the mountain and then there, there's the ring under a rock and he surprises her or, you know, they go helicoptering and they, they land and there's a picnic. I actually asked Dina's dad for her hand in marriage. It was after 8 o'clock at night, and so he was brain dead. He just said, that's fine. And <laughs> Whoever you are. Yeah, he went you to were bed. strategic. The next, I did not then ask her that night. And the next day I mentioned that I talked to her dad and that he said fine, and so I guess we're engaged. That's the story. I mean, isn't that sad or what? No, that's one way to do it. Okay, well, how, did you, how did you do it? I'm sure well, you did a helicopter to a mountaintop. We, I, I almost did. I hate you. <laughs> Which is why we should have <laughs> talked about this. Well, thanks for joining us for this podcast. <laughs> We're done. Actually, Aaron and I used to hike in the mountains of Phoenix, Arizona, and so we had some favorite hiking trails. And so I had a friend help me hike up a table, two chairs. We got our favorite meal. And so when I took Aaron up hiking. My friend was watching, you know, got everything set out. And so by the time we got up there, I took her over to the table. I could not convince her that I had done this. Oh. Like I tried to seat her at the table and she's like, we can't be here. Well, because Someone... we were just walking up this trail and I saw this little table with a tablecloth and it was so sweet. And I was like, we don't want to ruin that for somebody planned this. And he finally, he hit me. He's like, it's for you. I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. So it already Maybe I didn't know he was capable of something oh, quite that romantic. Oh. <laughs> See, how Things hurtful. have gotten better since then for yes. us and for you, I guess. Yes. Well, you know, we, we do spend a lot of time and energy and creativity on the big ask, but uh, throughout this podcast, you're going to hear about loving well throughout the journey, as I indicated uh, in the introduction. One of our favorite broadcast guests here at Focus on the Family is Gary Thomas, and not too long ago... He spoke to the Focus staff about finding a godly spouse and six things to look for. Let's go ahead and listen to that now. The first one is something that I don't see singles thinking about very much, but it is essential that you marry somebody who knows how to handle conflict. Do you know what marriage makes you? It makes you angry. It is impossible to share close living quarters without stepping on each other's toes. It shocked me as a new husband when I would wake up and my wife would be furious with me for how I treated her in her dream the night before. I was like, but honey, you were it doesn't matter. You were such a jerk. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. I mean, I... But here's the thing. Conflict doesn't bother me in this sense. Conflict is how you understand what each one really cares about. Conflict reveals values and 
feelings. And it can do wonderful things to help you grow in understanding of each other. So conflict can be very helpful if it's handled in a mature and godly way. If conflict isn't handled in a healthy way, it will tear the two of you apart. It will rip that infatuation apart faster than you can believe. And two real concerns when it comes to conflict are those that completely avoid conflict. It's sort of like saying you feel a lump in your throat, but if you don't go to the doctor, they can't diagnose it and you won't be in trouble, right? Well, we know that's not the case. Actually, it can become worse. The other problem is when somebody is just not mature enough to handle their anger without getting physical. The second thing that's so important is that you marry someone who will be a spectacular parent. You're not just choosing your, ki- your husband or wife. You're choosing your kid's mom or dad. And when your kids are theoretical, you don't realize how much they're going to grip your heart and never let go. I, I was a pacifist when my first child was born. I'd written on it. I'd talked about it. It all changed. That day, my first daughter was born. All that happened, I didn't read any new books, didn't exegete any new scriptures. They just lifted that girl, put her on my wife's chest. I looked at that baby girl. I said, anybody touches her, I'm doing prison ministry from the inside. All right? I'm just going to completely change the course of my life. And it's hard to imagine what that's going to be like. But the day will come when you will say, I, out of all the things I've done in this life, what I am most grateful for is I gave you the best father. I gave you the best mother that I could find. The third thing that is so important, and it doesn't sound so exciting, but it is so key, is that you want to marry somebody who knows how to pray. It is so much more important than six-pack abs. It might be hard for some people to believe. Here's the thing. Here's what one wife told my wife and I at a conference. She said, I just feel so much safer when my husband is praying. Now catch this. And I don't have to ask him. I can tell from his attitude. I can tell from how he handles tension, how he deals with stress, the way he treats us. There is just a fundamental difference in the way my husband operates when he's praying and in the word and when he's not. So if your boyfriend or girlfriend never talks about God, they're never talking to God. If you never hear this sense of God is laying this on my heart or he's convicting me of this or he's giving me a vision for that, God is not silent. He's dynamic in a person's life. So find someone who prays. And we'll hear more from Gary Thomas a little bit later about things to look for in a godly spouse. Now, Aaron, he talked about how important it is to find a person who handles conflict well. And it's really easy for a couple when they're in that lovey-dovey stage to kind of overlook the importance of this. But how can couples find out if they handle conflict well before they get married? You know, it's so important to watch. How does my boyfriend, fiance handle my heart in all kinds of situations? You know, when I'm upset, when I'm stressed, or when they're upset or stressed, how do they handle the communication and the connection during that time? I love this thought of, you know, find someone who handles conflict well, because that was not me. Hmm. I was not that person who knew how to handle conflict well. And I can tell you 26 years later, I have learned so much. And I would encourage any couple who's pursuing engagement and marriage to go to premarital and really seek if I can learn how to do conflict well, so can they. Mm. And poor Greg, I can remember when we first got married. I mean, I came from a family that we screamed and yelled 
called and got it all out and everything was better. And he just stood there and stared at me. And I was like, why aren't you yelling at me? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do? I was yelling on the inside. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was crying, shaking. Crying on the outside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like that watching how people handle you during conflict is mm-hmm. going to tell you a lot. I also think it's important to actually talk about it by asking questions like, hey, so how did your parents handle conflict? Because- that would have been a good one to ask. <laughs> <I know. laughs> In hindsight, yes, yeah. I could have asked that. Based on how our parents handle conflict, that's going to mm-hmm. tell you a lot about what that person is likely to do. You could even talk about, you know, in other relationships that you've been in. How have you guys managed differences, conflict, when yeah. you were frustrated with that person? What did you do typically? I mean, there's ways to have that sort of conversation outside of actually being in a fight. Yeah, and I think it's important to recognize that you probably won't have any really good fights until you get married, right? I mean, I do not recall really any disagreements when we were engaged or even before that. I mean, we knew each other for a year and a half, but I sure know when the first fight happened as a married couple, it was like it was in Arkansas on our honeymoon. Wow. All right, so one couple that's been through a lot of the different stages uh, of marriage is Roger and Diane Ingolia. Now, they've been on staff here at Focus on the Family for a long time, and uh, here they are talking about some important lessons they learned during the earlier years of their relationship. Tell me, what attracted you guys three years into your marriage to help others? Were you, did you figure it out that quick? Uh. <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> Woohoo! No. Uh, we, um, it was interesting how God led the way. I, I taught a Bible study, and it was um, through a church, and the, we got permission to, from this church to be able to have the Bible study at our house. So from high school, these kids were now graduating, and we didn't want to lose them, so we just kept teaching them. And then they were saying things like, could you, could you just like talk with us? Could, could you tell us what to do? We don't know how to handle this situation. And we're looking at each other going, well, we've got four years. Um, (laughs) But what we had, we were at least able to share with them. And Mm -hmm. so it was this slow morphing of. uh, Took some courage because I'm sure you at that time didn't feel like you had it all figured out. But Mm -hmm. we've got to answer the question we started with at the top. (laughs) (laughs) How in the world did you date her for five years or pursue her for five? And she said she pursued you or dated you for two. Well, for the first three of those, Diane was dating a plethora of young men at the time. I had things to do and places (laughs) Places to to go go. and things to see. And my philosophy was, men, you can't live with them. You can't eat free without them. (laughs) So so you like to date. I did like to date. I had a good time. And we did lots of things and went lots of places. And here was this man standing there. And it was Roger. And he would say, how would you like to go out? Would you like maybe like next Saturday? Ooh, how about like three Saturday? How about, well, let me check my calendar. (laughs) You kept moving it. Uh, Well, (laughs) I I was busy. I already had a date. So he waited through that. And Mm -hmm. at one point, um, I said to him, you know, I don't love you like you love me. And he said, "I, I know, just let me love you. That was surprising. I'd never met someone that had this unconditional, I don't care, I'm waiting because you're the one that I want. And I I was like, okay, that's what you want to do. So you made him wait. 
I did. <laughs> I did. She wasted actually the best three years that I had. <laughs> the way I look at it, but the, so much. Yeah, yeah, but 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 the the bottom line is, my family thought I was nuts, you know, because they knew she was out dating other people, and I was sitting at home waiting. But um, the Lord hadn't led me in any other direction. He hadn't brought anybody else into my life. So, in my own mind, this this is the one I wanted. It was worth waiting for. And uh, little by little, the Lord kind of weeded out the other guys. Now we are both Italian. What does that mean, weeded out? Then, if you're Italian, well, well, are they taken out? Well, <laughs> you can come to any conclusion, any conclusion that you want. But you know, the the reality is, maybe I won by default. I was the last guy standing. Well, but, but it also probably gave you a good foundation for your relationship. I mean, sure the did. patience and all that. Well, let's talk about the things that you learned initially in the early parts of your marriage. Then, what kind of uh, marital difficulty did you have to turn for for help? Well, we um, when we were in uh, in college, uh, Diane was being treated by a um, a doctor who was the director of medicine at the university we were going to, and I had been praying for five years for a quote unquote mentor in my life. Um, I wanted somebody who had been there, had done it, you know, not somebody that was my age that certainly the Lord could use. Uh, but at the same time, I was looking for somebody that had experience, that had a family, that had raised their kids. And as this man was treating Diane, he asked me out to lunch. Hmm. And then some weeks later, asked me out to lunch again. Well, after a few of those, he commented to me, he said, I would like you to pray about us getting together one-on-one on a more permanent basis. And I looked at him and I said, I've been praying about this for five years. You're the guy. I'm in. Let's go. Huh. And that started a 43-year relationship. I still meet with that man. Hmm. Uh, he's now 87. Um, he was the one that would actually begin then to walk us through the issues that we would find in our lives. I'm Southern Italian. She's Northern Italian. There's distinctive differences there <laughs> that we had to to work through in our own lives. But it, it was actually a, this mentor of mine who became not only our dear friend, it was a pastor of ours also at the same time, uh, who began to see areas in our life where we can um, be used of the Lord to impact other people's lives because uh, he saw what he was doing not only in our relationship, but he saw what we were doing with the young couples that were coming to us and asking for help. Well, you know, when you look at it today, there's so few couples being mentored, it mm -hmm. seems. And that's one of the things here Focus uh, we've started a mentoring program, mm -hmm. and so often we feel incapable of uh, doing it. If we don't have a Ph.D., we don't have a marriage and family counseling background, uh, we feel like we're going to be overwhelmed. Uh, as a young couple, three years into your own marriage and dealing with your northern, southern Italian <laughs> roots, I guess, mm -hmm. I mean, how did you have the confidence to say, okay, let's start uh, giving back to community. Let's look for a couple or two that we can talk with. Diane, what... To me, I think most couples would be mortified. Well, I was, and that was the thing. I didn't think I was qualified. I didn't think I had anything to give because I wasn't a, this trained person. And I thought, what? who am I to be able to say to somebody to give them advice or to listen to their questions? So I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I had one of my friends say, just be my friend. And that was, what, what? Just be your friend. Just be my friend and just meet with me. Because I had turned this person away a couple times where she said, will you be my mentor? And the word mentor to me meant I needed a book. I needed a step-by-step -step plan. I needed to make sure that I knew what I was doing. I, oh, what am I going to do? And she goes, just be my friend. 
I thought, I can be your friend. Mm -hmm. And we just started having lunch together. And then she says, I'm getting married. Would you mind like just meeting with us? And we found that just by sharing our own experiences, I, I can do that. I have, I have life. I can share experience. I can love you. And I think that was, that was the big deal. It was the word that scared me. Well, I love how Diane and Roger talked about how important it is for a young couple to find someone, to find a mentor, to help them navigate the early years of marriage. And that was so true for Aaron and I. We were really hurting. We were at Denver Seminary. I was in graduate school, so we're at this Denver Seminary apartment. We're Being all be spiritual. All, exactly. And, yeah, yeah well, everybody quite. knew we were Gary Smalley's kids, yeah. which didn't help at all, and the walls were extremely no thin. Yeah. We had a, a an older couple who they were noticing, observing our relationship. One day this woman called up looking for Aaron, and I was just trying to be funny and just kind of playful, and she she called up and said, Craig, is, is Aaron around? I said, no, she's she's gone. And she said, is everything okay? And I said, well, she's left me. Now I'm just trying to be funny. I'm bantering with one of my friends. And she got real quiet and went, Craig, I am so sorry. My husband and I were so afraid that this was going to happen. Oh. And I went, you know, in my mind I'm thinking, wait, are now we – I don't think we're both joking. <laughs> I said, are you, are you being serious? Yeah. And she went – wait, are you not? I said, I'm joking. And she went, well, uh, okay. So to be honest, my we've husband been, and I- We've been watching. You know, we've noticed. And, and she said, why don't, okay, seriously, why don't you guys just come over tonight? Let, let, let's just talk. And it was so awkward and weird, but we went. And John, it was the first time that we were able to be honest about what was going on. And I believe we left after several hours through a lot of tears, but also mm. with hope going- wow, this is, they say that this is normal and they went through this. And I think we left with some real hope. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And knowing that someone was not going to just give us hope and then leave us, but they continued to walk with us. Carrie actually discipled me individually. And I know Gary discipled you individually. So we were both growing in the Lord, but then they were teaching us how to come together and really build that union of spiritual oneness together. So here's the advice. Yeah. Okay. Aaron, I've been married 26 years. So as you're listening to this and you're getting married, commit to find a mentor couple and meet with them once a month for your first year. Okay, so how do you find a mentor couple? Here's the easiest way. At church, look around and go, what, what, which couples do we really admire? Because they stand out. Mm. There's couples mm -hmm. that you just you feel it. You're around them. You can tell that not a perfect marriage, but they really like each other, something different approach them and say, we're getting married. Is there any way that, that you'd be willing just maybe once a month that we could get together and just talk about life and, mm. and marriage? Yeah, and, that just happened to us, what, two yeah. months ago? A young gal came up and she had just finished Ready to Wed. And she said, you know, we want to go deeper. Would you guys be willing to meet with us just a couple times before we get married? And so we did. And at the end of that time, because they're getting married in like a week, we said, you know what? We would love, we'll throw it out there. We would love to walk with you guys through the first year of marriage and meet once a month. But you guys decide, you know, let us know if you're interested in that. And before they walked out, they're like, absolutely. We want to do that with you guys. Mm -hmm. 
that's really great to hear about people investing. And, uh, you know, there are times when I think, thank you, Lord, for all the people that have played a part of our story. Right. Mm. Uh, because we could not have made it this far on our own. It I mean, takes I'm a village I'm too selfish to raise a marriage. and sinful to be able to make a, a relationship last that long. All right, you're going to find more of the great content you're hearing from the Smallies in a great book they've written. It's called Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage, 12 Secrets for a Lifelong Romance. And uh, we've got that at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. And Greg, um, when you and Aaron set out to write this book, how did you narrow it down to 12? Because I'm guessing you had a whole lot more uh, in the way of ideas. You know, there's amazing, great content, but there's a lot of it out there, mm-hmm. tons of great books and articles and research. And we tried just to narrow that down for couples going, okay, really, what are the important behaviors mm-hmm. to make sure that we're doing those in our marriage? And so, John, seriously, all we did is we took every marriage study that we could find, simply looked and began to notice the the behaviors that were repeated, kind of the good communication, yeah. spiritual relationship, commitment, those kinds of things. And after we did that for seriously about six months, we realized it seemed like there were 12. So we had a good friend at a university and said, here's what we want you to do, paid him to do the exact same thing. Didn't tell him what we found. He found the exact same thing. Oh, nice. So this is research-based, but it's 12 things that are easy once you understand that that's what we're aiming for. And a lot of good stuff, but focus on these 12 and I guarantee you that you'll have a strong marriage. Well, we have the book, as I said, at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell, and we have a lot of other wonderful resources there as well. Now, earlier we heard from Gary Thomas about six things to look for when you're choosing a godly spouse, and let's go ahead and continue hearing from Gary. And then fourth, this is so key, you want to marry somebody who's humble. Humility is so underrated when it comes to marriage, but I believe humility is the preserver of happiness in marriage and the foundation for growth in marriage so that you can grow ever closer. James 3, 2 says we all stumble in many ways, so nobody gets to marry a perfect person. Nobody gets to marry the fourth member of the Trinity because that person doesn't exist. But the only thing more difficult than being married to somebody who isn't perfect is being married to somebody who isn't perfect, but who thinks they are. Because then every issue in marriage will be resolved when you get your act together. It's not about how they're being confronted or how they're being convicted or how they can grow. It always comes back to, if you will change, our marriage will improve. Number five, just as you can divide the world up into dog people and cat people, you can divide the world into givers and takers. Some people get joy out of giving. Some people get their highest joy out of taking. And the problem is when the couples start dating, you have a giver who's dating a taker. The giver gets to give. The taker gets to take. They feel like it's a match made in heaven. But marriage is a long-term relationship. It is a lifelong marathon. And the time is going to come when the giver needs to receive and the taker needs to give. And often, rather than having empathy for you, they'll feel sorry for themselves because their whole world is oriented toward themselves. And I know it sounds so selfish for you givers, and I love you because you're givers for thinking that you even want to think about that. It sounds selfish to think about that. But let me put it in a new light. Your ability to give, to build God's kingdom, to do God's work, will be halved 
if you marry a taker. When you put two givers together, you inspire each other. You encourage each other. You support each other. You release each other. And you're able to give twice, three, ten times as much as you would be as an individual. And then finally, the sixth thing I think is so key, and it's that, you know, cliche last but not least, is the Holy Spirit active in their life? Not just are they a believer, but are they a believer in the sense that you see evidence of the Holy Spirit? And I'm not talking about Pentecostal charismatic expressions, not that I have a problem with any of that. I mean the fruit of the Spirit that Scripture says is present when anyone is surrendered to the work of God in their life. This is what is so powerful. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Here's why I think this is the list that you want to look off of. The three things of the world that we talked about, infatuation, we know neurologically, it fades. Sexual chemistry, it fades. Date compatibility, it fades as well because when you have a mortgage and you're raising kids and you're dealing with all these other issues, date compatibility goes out the window. The things that the world picks... And too many Christians, frankly, have nothing to do with long-term satisfaction in marriage. But if you base your decision off the fruit of the Spirit, here's what's so amazing. The fruit of the Spirit grows because God makes it grow. The source isn't in the person. The source is God within them. Kindness gets wider. Peace gets deeper. Goodness goes higher. Wisdom is is increasing on a regular basis. And so if you fall in love with someone for that reason, you will love them more at year 20 and 30 and 40 than you ever did at day 20 or month 20 or year 2. And so not only are you giving your children a parent who will model the effects of Christ in the life, and that will invite them to embrace that same Savior. You're also bringing along a partner with whom, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, hand in hand, you can serve God, and that will give your marriage meaning. It will give you purpose. It will give the two of you something to talk about and something to pray about. And let me just say, it will give you one of the happiest marriages you can possibly give because you know as good as it is now, because of the work of God, it's going to get even better. Thank you. Well, once again, that's Gary Thomas talking to Focus on the Family staff, and he has such a unique perspective on finding a godly spouse, and caring for your spouse as well. Greg, for those who are listening and feeling like they could never, ever find the kind of person Gary Thomas talked about, what would you encourage them to do? Yeah, and he gave some really, really good traits to look for. I would say to that person, you become those things. Hmm. Remember, that was advice that my mom gave. I remember one time, long before Aaron... I'm not even sure we were dating, but just asking her, like, how did you know and what's important to work on? And that was basically the advice is don't find the perfect person, become the perfect person. So I think it's listening to what Gary said and going, do I reflect those? Mm -hmm. Do I model those six things and become that person? Because if that's what you want, 
that's what you need to become or probably those two people won't meet. Okay, so how do we reconcile the becoming the good and godly person I want to be with the realities that I can't really attain a whole lot of goodness in and of my own power? I think the key is that we want to have that attitude of being a lifelong learner I always want to be growing. I want to be moving forward as an individual. Mm-hmm. One of those 12 traits that we found is a healthy individual. Mm-hmm. It takes two healthy individuals to create a good marriage. Mm-hmm. And I can't control what Aaron does if she's growing or not, but I can certainly focus on my own personal growth. Yeah. And of course, many people who are looking for a spouse, you know, they may be in their 20s, they may be in their young 30s. But just to recognize, look for someone who has the capability of growing in those areas that you see, you know, if, as you get married and then you change and you change over the years and over seasons. And But look for someone who has the potential of growth in those areas. You see that there's seeds of those, recognizing that they're going to continue to grow and you're going to continue to grow. And so look, I love that, Greg, that seek someone who is a lifelong learner, who is willing to continue to have that mindset of we're going to continue to learn and grow both individually and together. Hmm. As I said earlier, we have a lot of great resources on our website and Ready to Wed is one. I think, Aaron, you mentioned it earlier. And it's a terrific way to prepare for marriage. Now, you were the general editors. You contributed a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Why is this such a helpful resource for those who are getting married? You know, it's such a great resource, John. And I've gotten to use it both as a mentor but then as a counselor. As couples come in for premarital, it covers the 10 basic areas that couples need to be equipped in to have the skills to go forward in this marriage. It's not that it's going to be all put into practice and tied up with a bow. It's that they've been equipped with skills and tools to know this is how we handle conflict when it comes. But that's why it's important to have that mentor couple walking with you as these things arise. Then you can go, okay, I know that this is what we're supposed to be doing, but now we really have to do it. So, you know, help us along here and walk with us as we're really applying the stuff that we have learned in premarital. John, so many couples, once they get engaged, they become so focused then on the day, the wedding day. So much of their time, their effort, their energy, their discussions are all in wedding details, which understand. I mean, it takes a lot to prepare for that day. But what you're trying to train your relationship is that we're not just going to focus on the day. We're going to focus on our lifelong relationship. So we want to continue to invest. As Aaron said, acquire those skills, learn and grab hold of those tools that will help us then stay married Mm. for a lifetime. So if you're getting ready to uh, tie the knot, or if you know a young couple who is uh, preparing for marriage, this is a wonderful book. It's called Ready to Wed. And you'll find that at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. And if you're already married, we have a free assessment that you can take to kind of learn some strong suits in your relationship and maybe some areas to grow in. It's our Focus Marriage Assessment. It's free. It's online. It takes about five or ten minutes. And I think you'll benefit from it. I did. It's at focusonthefamily.com slash lovingwell. Well, next week on this podcast... I hear couples all the time, I want my parents to take our relationship seriously and not treat us like children. Well, one way you can do that is don't call home for money. Get a second job before you ask your parents to bail you out. So you're separating physically, financially, you're separating emotionally. 
The problem, if, if you have a tough day at work and you get in the car and your first person you're going to call is your mom, not your wife, that's a problem. That's going to prevent you from the second half of Genesis 2.24, the two becoming one. You'll hear more from that conversation with Pastor Ted Cunningham as we talk about the transitions that couples face after they get married. And for now, I'm John Fuller. On behalf of Greg and Aaron Smalley and the entire team here at Focus on the Family, thanks for listening to the Loving Well podcast.